Hey Highland, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. My name is Matt Benson, and with me as always is Mr. David Sessions. Sessions. Um, And today we are here with Adam and Donna Hester. Adam and Donna are uh, longtime AC theater professors. Um, I'm not sure. We've been out of the... Christine graduated, my wife Christine graduated from the theater department longer and longer ago all the time um and uh back then adam was the chair of the department i mean i was like i i don't know uh what your what y'all's professoring status is these days um but uh but they were a very important part of our lives in college i can tell you that for sure ah thanks we're both um mostly retired donnie donna is um considers herself completely retired i am in the pick and choose part of retirement. Nice. So I call it the Gary Varner track of retirement. <laughs> so uh, right now I'm teaching a playwriting class and uh, I'll be directing, I directed a uh, play this fall and I'll be directing one this coming summer. So love to get to choose you know, what I'm doing in that respect. That seems to be an ideal portion of retirement that. Oh, it's perfect for me. <laughs> and you know, if you're, if you're still wanting to be active and doing something, you know, that something that you love, but you don't want to do it so fully engaged as we were doing, this has been great. For Donna, she had other ventures she really wanted to pursue, and this has given her an opportunity to do that. But we really, we pride ourselves on pretty much managing to spend our entire adult life without getting real jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Because we just love being in the theater and, as you said, telling stories and helping show other people how to tell stories. Yeah, I I find I'm – I always joke with people that I'm – proletariat. I'm kind of dumb. Like, I'm not very uh, cultured at all. And I'd always, like – see I, I base a lot of the things that I am interested in and study on storytelling and so it would make sense that I would be uh, you know more of a theater person but I just not I just never uh, I don't know we didn't do that growing up um, Jeff Nelson will start singing a show tune and he'll expect that I know where it's from and I don't I just <laughs> so for someone like me who you know appreciates story but maybe doesn't know the theater like what what's so great about the theater and and what am I missing? And you're missing a lot. How do I start? How do I start? Is what I think what what I what I really want to know. Well, because I, I can't go to New York. No, but there's lots of good theater going on right here in okay. Abilene, Texas. Okay. You know, theater is great because it's uh, it's different than movies, and and I'm sure you watch plenty of movies mm-hmm. or maybe television shows or whatever. So so much so much good writing on television now. It's uh, in great competition with movies, but there are stories that are being told in the theater. And what's great about the theater is that you are sitting next to other people mm-hmm. and there is an energy, kind of an electricity that happens among you and it's between then you and the actor. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a communal experience that happens in theater that you don't get as much in the movie theater uh, because the uh, obviously the the film is you know that instead right. of having live actors, but there's something that uh, I would say uh, 
takes us out of our everyday kind of doing the same old, same old, and makes us readdress some things that we haven't really thought about before mm-hmm. and, uh, and can be challenging to mm-hmm. us. I think for Donna and me both, one of the things that excite us most uh, about telling stories is that stories often give us the opportunity to talk about the truth and uh, somehow serve that up both to uh, both for us uh, to, to hear but also for those that are participating in it with us and then ultimately an audience and somehow there is uh, it's a little bit easier to digest truth in that way than being told just directly yeah I guess you know in one way I was thinking about this earlier when Nathan comes to David to to confront David about mm-hmm. uh, his adultery with Bathsheba he tells him a story he tells him a story about a rich guy who had a lot of a lot of lambs and land and all of this and then a poor guy who just had one lamb and in and in this it just David's outraged and he wants to do these things and the story brings him along and then you are the man and that convicts David and I have been so convicted so many times by a story that is being told and I will say from the pulpit I I've been so blessed I mean I've gotten to be at the feet of Landon Saunders mm-hmm. and Lynn Anderson, Mike Cope, and and so many wonderful people. But the things I remember are the stories they told yeah. more than the lecture they gave. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, tell the truth, but tell it slant. And we can, <laughs> yeah. we can uh, not have our defenses up uh, in a story in the same way as if somebody were wagging a finger at us. You know, you know we were talking earlier about kind of how stories expose um, our humanity. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, story is central to all cultures since the beginning of civilization. We tell stories. We tell stories to learn more about other people. And in understanding more about other people, we learn about ourselves as well. And I think, you know, theater is so great. We talk about um, theater can be both a mirror, it can reflect what what is going on. This is mm. what you look like. This is what's going on right now. Mm. Or it can even, um, you know, it can, it can be cautionary tales. This is what will happen mm. if you don't do this. This marriage will end or this terrible event will happen if you are not faithful. Um, or it can inspire us and we can look at other people's stories and go, wow, what one person did mm-hmm. and um, I don't know it, it, you know Jesus told stories they're just such a human thing and uh, the more this is one thing I'm always so moved by when you can have a space where people can feel free to tell their story and the other people are really listening. They really want to hear that story. And you can go to this vulnerable place that just kind of 
it kind of transcends any barriers. And then you feel like, wow, we are all in this together. And, you know, I do believe, in fact, I think Parker Palmer, who I just, I love that man. I have such a crush on him. I <laughs> read everything he writes. <laughs> but, you know, it, he just says, if, you know, once you know someone's story, it is much harder to want harm, mm -hmm. to want to hurt them. Um, and that's, that's what I love as an actress. You know, my job as an actor, when I receive a role, is I study that character. I try to figure out why do they do what they do? And I, I just try to, to understand them. And then I try to just let their words tell their story and I cannot sit in judgment of them. A good actor cannot judge who they're playing. They just need to be as true and as real. Um, it's an honor, it's an honor to try to speak the words of someone else and enflesh them, get them up on their feet mm. and then let them do what they do. Mm. And they're, they are part of a story and then so that they, they are a story, they are a part of a story, the audience coming watching to them brings their own stories with them, and it's just this great pot. <laughs> I love it. It's very exciting to me. Yeah, we talked, y'all talked some about the kind of the energy transfer that happens between the stage and the audience and between the actors and actresses, and we, we found how important that was even in church during COVID when we could only watch through a screen and how important it felt to all be in a room together and communally experiencing something and you know we don't we don't compare church service and theater very often <laughs> um, maybe we should but yeah. that energy transfer and that telling tr telling the truth uh, in community are two things that I think church and theater have in common yeah I've been struck by Jim Clark is so brave. Mm. I mean, this last week, just the confessional attitude he brought mm -hmm. to communion and the story he told, just, and I remember he did the same thing quite a while back, and I can't remember if it was in a class or if it was it was uh, in communion, but he, he has told some stories mm -hmm. that, I, I don't know, they just... They so humanize this, these temptations or these, these uh, feelings that you have, and you go, I identify with that. And yet he kind of leads us in a way of here's a better way to go than that. And that's those are those are great stories. And Donna was talking about cautionary tales. I mean, the, this has been uh, part of our work. So I love Shakespeare. So when you think about how greed or pride or the the search for power can lead to destruction, I mean, Macbeth comes to mind, and you think, wow. So as it gives you an opportunity to have those kind of conversations after a story is told, to what is what is going on in the story, and to explore and examine the story, and. We get to do sometimes uh, not just the play, but we get to do a talk back after the mm. play. And it's pretty fascinating what students uh, might pick up on or just our regular patrons. And there's, there's something that is 
people are hungry. They are hungry for, I think, to hear what is the truth and to be told um, something that feels very real and very honest to them. And I, I, I don't know, I just love that I get to be a part of that. Mm. I, yeah, I'm thinking we did a, a play, Next to Normal, which is a story of a, um, it's mental illness. It's really very painful. And, she has um, bipolar disorder. Yeah, she is a bipolar mother. And um, we did it for all the freshmen. And it was interesting because um, during intermission, I walked outside and there was a freshman on, on the phone. And she was going, Mom, they got it right. Oh, wow. And that just, I, that really hit me. Yeah. And I remember when we first saw the play on Broadway, I mean, we just were weeping. Mm. It, it's so sad. But there's something so powerful about just bearing witness to something. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not <clears throat> giving the answers, even if you're not... Um, even if it's you're just left in that sad place, there's yeah. something that uh, it validates. Yeah, is there something about theater? So uh, Matt and I have a running joke that I don't get Marvel movies at all. Uh, I don't. I I just I can't get out of the mindset that I'm watching a movie that I don't believe is really happening. Is is there something about the theater where like your brain doesn't know the difference? Like it. Like the the fourth wall is almost brought down a little bit more. Or not that's not a term, but. Like there's real people on yeah. the stage. You're yeah, watching yeah, like real people do right. things. Is it, well, is it more I think there's a suspension of disbelief yeah. that has to happen, you know, in, yeah. in theater. But I think that the better the, the play is done, the more that happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard for me because since I direct so much and act some, it's hard for me not to be analyzing technique, sure. just just because that's what yeah. I do, uh, and I want to get better at what I yeah. do. Uh, but the times that I forget, so if, if you've ever seen the movie Angels in America, I was stunned that that rabbi at the beginning is actually, this man who's this rabbi that begins talking at this service mm -hmm. is actually Meryl Streep, because I had no idea that she could even do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, what can she not do? But that I, I was, I was stunned to to see that. It's um, uh, it's such a, I don't know, an, a transformative kind of vehicle in some ways. Yeah. You know, there's also um, Brian McLaren talks about that stories sometimes frame give us a framework of who we are. And as I think about our mm. own polarization in this country, mm. how it can be a framework for you, for you personally, but it can also be a framework for um, a political party, or it can be a framework for a religion or whatever. And so when you buy into a particular story, that you buy into all the things being said in that story. And I am interested in exploring you know how do we how do we reveal stories that are true and stories that are are not actually giving us what is true mm. because some of that is 
uh, we we have bought into and, and you did some great work in let me just say in your podcast on deconstruction <laughs> because th- there you you really have I mean Anne Reese comes to mind just yeah. some of the things that she was she was saying but but several others as well um, and and certainly what you know Randy and Mike always they're always amazing to listen to but sometimes those stories need to be deconstructed Mm -hmm. and and as and all of a sudden so you're going to you're next going to have people telling their stories which will give so many people that moment of ah ah i get it yeah that they articulated this or what happened to them is exactly what i've been feeling or what i have sensed to be true but couldn't ever put my finger on it. And that's going to be the power of what happens next, I think, in these podcasts. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I, um, I firmly believe that this kind of idea that postmoderns don't live by a story anymore, is it can't be true. I don't believe that yeah, either. It, the, we don't construct meaning out of facts. We construct meaning out of stories. And so I'll, I'll pick on an easy one right now, like, White nationalists, white Christian nationalists right now are living based on a story. They're living off of a flawed story, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what I think what you're getting at is if we don't tell that story, we don't see the, the end. We don't see that people don't live happily ever after. Uh, and I do think it is on the church to say, actually, we believe in a, a counter story. Uh, and, and, and there's lots of ways to tell that story, right? Uh, there's lots of frames to use to use a term to to help people reconstruct meaning um but if if we just you know like logically point out why christian nationalism isn't so christ-like um without the power story you know i don't know that anyone is ever gonna pay attention yeah it's hard to hear it the it's so the the amazing thing about story to me and uh, is that you you almost always find yourself on the stage you always Mm. always see yourself in in one of the characters identify with one of the characters and sometimes you're in a situation where it's nathan and david and you go oh no i've i am I, the man i'm the man <laughs> yeah. and sometimes you're that that freshman in the hallway going mom they see us yeah um and and the power the powerful thing about story is that like it it lays the groundwork for a community if we're all if we're all seeing the same story, then we can all have a common f- ground t- to be together when the story's done being told. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that we're wanting to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that, that, you know, church in America for a long time has done with uh, our stories is tell only the happy ones mm. and only the ones that have... Uh, that paint us in the best light and only the ones that um, the day gets saved. Um, and and I think that's one of the big reasons we're seeing people go through deconstruction is because their story's not going the same way as the story they've heard, you know, the, the stories that they've heard their whole life and they feel abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I think you are exactly right. And one of the things is you in your when you were talking in, in your last podcast about what's next, and you were talking about where people might see God or hear God or 
have an experience of God and how does that revealed how does that how does that reveal itself to them what came to mind to me is that sometimes I think God show up shows up where we are not suspecting him to be mm-hmm. um, there's a wonderful play called Joyful Noise that we opened the Williams Performing Arts Center with and in that play um, Handel who is writing this amazing thing uh, that we all know so well um, uh, they feel like this is contemporary music at that time and so he's he's being uh, he's really being lambasted mm-hmm. for uh, for uh, sacrilege and mm-hmm. for for dragging God into the dirt is what mm-hmm. is one of the words and he comes back with that's where God wants to be mm-hmm. in the dirt you know, mm-hmm. among us, yeah. uh, working through us. And that's why Jesus was incarnated from dirt mm-hmm. into becoming a man to live among us. And that that story is so powerful to me that, um, that God is doing his work, even in stories that sometimes we, we are so pharisaical because we, we get, I, I've really loved I, I'm not really drawn to these kinds of uh, very um, overtly uh, religious stories, but I've loved The Chosen, and mm. uh, I'm so eager for the next one to drop uh, in the third season. Uh, but in that, you know, just the, the the Pharisees can just not abide what's going on whenever they, they eat grain on the Sabbath or he heals on the Sabbath, and um, and sometimes that's what happens with so many people. There is a little hot button issue for them in, in a play or a movie. And, oh, they said that word, I can't watch this, mm-hmm. or I can't be mm-hmm. here, or they are participating in this, I can't do it. Whereas the arc of the play or the movie is about something much bigger. Right. If you get hung up on pretty women in, uh, in Les Miserables, you're going to you're going to sidestep the greater thing about what Les Mis is all about mm-hmm. because you suddenly got a little crazy about the women of the night who have no other choice in their life in this play but that. Right. And, and so sometimes I think it's really important for us to look at the big picture of the story and to not get hung up, as the Pharisees did, with these very particular rules that we have put into place that we don't feel like we should be doing because the story is about something bigger. And that's what Jesus was doing. Yeah, and I mean, to kind of continue on the metaphor, it's like if you live by pretty flat stories, uh, like this is wrong, therefore, I mean, the end the end of discussion, this is wrong, and you don't ask, you know, like, what would make somebody steal bread? Uh, <laughs> um what would make somebody uh, go to the place where they're, uh, you know, offering their bodies to strangers? Um, you're you're kind of just telling a flat story, and, and like Donna, you were saying, you, probably the person you're uh, understanding the least is yourself, if you're if you're not at least wondering about the layers of of other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll miss that beautiful moment uh, to love another person 
It's to see the face of God. Mm. And, I mean, to get there, you have to go through all of that ick. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, the, to tell the story of Jesus, someone has got to play the part of Judas. Mm. If we're going to do that, play. Mm-hmm. And there's, there are unseemly things that are in the Bible that yeah. we, we often just go, we just skip over that. Yeah. We skip over, you know, I don't know, Abraham, I was just reading this yesterday, Abraham going, I know Sarah's my sister. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Pharaoh. It's, yeah. it's no problem here. And then, what? You, sir, why? Yeah. 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 I mean, there, there, there are things that are, you, you, you have to look at what is the bigger issue going on. Yeah. If we're going to explain to our children the genealogy of Jesus, we're going to have to tell them what a prostitute is. That's right. Uh, Donna, t- what, what, tell us about the women. She, she used to do this great oh, yeah, show. Yeah, yeah Jill, Jill Maxwell and I um, worked on a project way back, like I think it was 2005 or 2006, where we were really intrigued by the women listed in the lineage mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she... Work, she, she painted pictures of those women, and I worked through the medium of theater mm-hmm. and wrote little vignettes of those women. Mm. And man, when you start really soaking <laughs> yourself in that, talk about a mixed up, messed mm-hmm. up, betrayed, uh, really freaky. Tell, tell how you like, told the story like, Tamor, of yes, tell I that did story. that like a Jerry Springer show because, <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the details of that woman's life are yeah. just incredible. Yeah. And so and yet she she's mentioned. She is one of five women yeah. mentioned in the lineage of Christ, the yeah. Messiah. Yeah. And that is not an accident. Right. I mean, you know, you just don't see God backing off of that. And Matt, when you mentioned, you know, we see ourselves in stories. I I would push back on that a little bit. I would say that's the we want to see mm-hmm. ourselves, but there are peoples whose stories are not being told, mm. and they continually go to church and they don't hear their story. They continually wow. go to movies, they don't see themselves. And that's, you know, you do that over time, and it just, you start thinking, am I invisible? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have any validity? And so I think wow. that is why it is so important for the church to tell stories, all the stories. And if if we are fortunate enough to get in a group, and it pretty much has to be a small group for it to consistently happen, but to um, to really share our stories, the yeah. ugly parts, mm-hmm. the heroic parts, uh, the shameful parts, the victimized parts, I mean, all of it. and. Um, you know, Adam and I've been part of a group now for what, 30 years, and it's just such an amazing thing to know to be known sure. like that. Yeah. And isn't that what we all want to be known? Do you have yeah. the thing about being named? That's what stories. Do. That's a Madeline Langle. Yeah. yeah. Tell, do you have that quote? Because that is. Um, I do have that quote somewhere. Jesus taught almost entirely by telling stories, simple stories dealing with the stuff of. Life familiar to the Jews of his day, story, stories help us to be able to become more whole, to become named, and meaning is one of the impulses behind all art, to give a name 
to the cosmos we see despite all the chaos. Mm. This is from our book, Walking on Water, and which is a, an, a wonderful book. And she really talks about when you, what art does. So one of the things, and her husband was a playwright, so she was especially, and an actor, I think, and she was especially kind of sensitive to how theater worked. And she talks about, you know, that's, all, with all the randomness that is out there um, is, is what is chaos. And whenever a story is being told, we somehow bring cosmos out of chaos because then we make sense of what life, what's going on in life and what's going on in our own lives. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Ethan Hawke has a great TED Talk where he talks about the value of art and the value of uh, telling stories and he, he's talking about how in, in everyday life you know you may not find much value in a poetry or, or telling a story um, you know when you're making food for your kids or you're trying to figure out how to balance a checkbook he's like but then you have a parent die or the person you love most in the world leaves you or uh, you meet someone and your heart explodes and you don't know how to you don't know how to handle it. He was like, and that's when art becomes the most valuable thing in the world. Mm. That's when somebody can put words to feelings, put action to uh, you know you can see up on the stage or on the screen. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, yeah, you you make yourself a little less alone in the world, mm. and yeah, it's it's like you said, it's so important that we tell all the stories mm-hmm. that we tell uh, that we we make sure everybody can see themselves. Yeah, and that was kind of when Donna, you were talking, that was kind of reminding me of why Matt and I wanted to take this new turn because um, we're. Th- thinking we're talking to people who are kind of in the midst of deconstruction one of the elements of deconstruction is this kind of disenchantment uh that we see around ourselves like um do we really still believe this do we really still believe in you know something other than what we can measure other than the scientific and um one of the authors that we got to meet Andrew Root was talking about the power of telling our God stories as a way of pushing back disenchantment. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why we started thinking about who are the good storytellers we know and, and help us think about stories, which is why I wanted to invite you guys here. And so are there experiences you guys have had in theater or, or otherwise where you've kind of, um, encountered a thin space? Yeah. Um, you've said, I don't know how to explain it, but there's God or, or that was God or, or now I know something about God I didn't know before. It's a pretty broad question. You can take it wherever you want. <laughs> uh, I think it's happened many, many times. I mean, I think we're both very open to that. Yeah. And I think we're uh, we're probably good receptacles of that kind of thing. I mean, we just saw a movie, um, A Man Called Otto, yeah. based on A Man Called Ova, Ova yeah. I think. Yeah. And boy... The way God reveals himself in that movie is don't give up. Don't mm-hmm. give up on people. Yeah. Don't give up on yourself. And this so gorgeously played, I wish I remember the actress's name. Her character's name is Marisol. 
She's Latina, and she lives across from Otto. Have you seen this? I've read the book, yeah. You've read the yeah, book, okay. Um, I, I wonder how close it is. But. I've wondered, too. I'm, like, terrified. Uh, <laughs> it's not, because the book's just so perfect. Is yeah, it? Yeah, uh, so good. Well, this Latina woman is just she is you just need to see it for this woman because her performance is remarkable okay. she is her personality is so infectious but she refuses to give up on him and i mean no matter how he rejects her or how gruff or he's such a curmudgeon and uh, played well by tom hanks let me add uh, but i mean god reveals himself and you know who have i given up on and who do i who do I need to keep trying with? Um, I don't know, but I've also found myself feeling very, very, I don't know, begin crawling like a wounded animal sometimes in a, just because this, because what I've just seen is so real. I just feel the spirit's presence so, so much right there in front of me. What would you say? I think what you're talking about is transcendent moments. Yep. And yes, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm at a loss to think of something specific. Well, the first right time now, we saw Les Mis, we were completely oh. just, I don't know, undone. Well, I'll tell one about you guys if you want to. No, dear. Um, when we were in college, uh, Christine and I got married in 2003. And about four months later, found out we were pregnant with our first child. And I had just taken my last final the day we found out we were pregnant. And Christine had a semester left. And so we were, you know, jobless children who are about to have a child. And uh, scared to death. And as we, as the year went on, you know, Christine finished up the year. I think we always joke that Jack's first show was... Uh, shoot, I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, she was in a show and that, and she was pregnant. That's the bit. And, uh, <laughs> and so the time came for graduating. I still did not have a job sending out resumes every day, just getting nothing. And we were freaking out. And, you know, I've told stories on here before about just somebody doing something at a time when you feel like you're right on the edge of all hope is lost. You know mm. what I mean? And, you guys brought a little box with baby shoes in it that said when God sends a baby, he also sends booties or something like that. And uh, and we still have that. Like, we still have that little thing. And I see it, you know, in our room from time to time, and it it is a reminder that God provides. Things see, are okay. That, that was actually a story that his mother told me when we were pregnant with Conrad. <laughs> and you know, just just that little simple thing, you know, when God when God sends this, he will also send this. Yeah. Well, it was a message and that we needed <laughs> at the well, time, God, and it's a message that we've needed many times oh, in wow. the last 18 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I feel like I need to go back and say like I'm not like anti-theater. I <laughs> No, oh, I I I, it's one of the things like, oh, I would love this. I need to get it. And I, I can't find time. I, uh, at one point, impulsively subscribed to a Broadway HD, which I thought was going to be like a streaming, like you could watch, you could stream plays. But they're like, uh, they're like, uh, what do you call it? Like 
documentary. They've made like movies out of the play, and it's not. Not the it's same. Not what I'm after. Yeah. Um. Well, I I'm like you. I didn't. I, we didn't see plays, or we went to Casa Manana a few times when I was a kid and saw, you know, Charlie Brown or something. I don't remember. I was a little bitty, but that was about it until I came to ACU and we saw one of the homecoming musicals and then I started dating a theater major yeah. and I saw lots of things do it. Um, and learned lots about, you know, a world that I had never uh, been introduced to before. Got to go to strikes and uh, play basketball with uh, all of her theater friends, which made me feel like Michael Jordan. No offense yeah. to the theater no, kids, but I dominated. <laughs> But uh, but it was it was such it was a community like I had, you know, like like you don't see very often. I mean, I grew up playing sports and you get close with the guys on your team and everything. But vulnerability is not really a, a big part of being on a football team. Um, but there's never like a practice where you share your story. There's not really very many practices where you go, Hey guys, listen, I'm really struggling. With this. <laughs> and that kind of thing was a lot more accepted, uh, with this new group of people. And, uh, it was an introduction to, yeah, a, a world that I didn't know anything about and a world that I'm grateful to have gotten to at least be on the fringes of, uh, yeah, for the last 20 years. It's clear that like sharing your story, the, the world of the theater, like it's got to increase one's emotional intelligence. And I think one of the things we've talked about here is like, there's probably a spiritual awareness too that, um, yeah. that would increase. Donnie, you talked about um, like, it might, it probably have to be a small group, but can you think of other ways that like uh, churches could increase the likelihood that people share their God stories with each other or, or Adam or either one of yeah, you? Yeah, that, that's, you know, it doesn't just happen. Yes, sure. there are some very courageous, bold people yeah, right. who will trot out their story in front of, and and you know the the. Unfortunately, we've all shared our story at some time, and it has not been treasured mm. or received well. That's tough, uh, and it just serves to make us more guarded. Yeah, yeah, and we're more protected. Like, oh no, I'm never gonna. Mm-mm. And I think. I think Highland is actually doing some really wonderful things to encourage that sort of receptivity. Um, just the, the, I love all the different people that have gotten up yeah. in front and have just told a little piece of their stories yeah. uh, from children to, you know, all ages, all walks of life, yeah. uh, even the little video clips we see, just that continual um, peaks into people's lives mm-hmm. and um, it just emboldens you to to want to do the same and then it, cre- it starts creating this safe space this welcoming space mm-hmm. yeah. I think also it's about keeping our eyes open and I will tell a story of something that happened to me um, if I don't get emotional here it's okay. um, our youngest daughter was losing her baby. Mm. And um, Donna, I think, had gone to be with her because she was, she was going to have to go through a procedure in, uh, because the baby was dying and, um, and, or had died. Uh, 
anyway, it was awful. And so I was in church by myself, and I sat for some reason on the complete opposite side of where I normally sit. As you're looking at the pulpit, I always sit on the left side. <laughs> but I, I, for some reason, I was on this extreme right side. And I was having a hard time, but I thought I was hiding it really well. Yeah. And Dan um, uh, Allen came up to me and said, are you having a hard time? And I said, oh, a little bit. And he said, tell me what's going on. And I thought, how in the world? I mean, we weren't even sitting next to each other. I don't know how he saw that. But he kind of had me tell that little bit of my story to him while he listened. And, I mean, yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, one thing I'm realizing is that, like, when we don't tell our stories, when we have vulnerability problems at church, we actually have a gospel problem because gospel is the story of good news and if the good news is only just limited to scripture I don't know that I still want to be a part of that <laughs> and so we've got to keep re-gospeling ourselves um, otherwise you know God's God's just back then and not now and I, I think it's important that we have a understanding of I think you're so right what's what God's still doing <laughs> and even when you don't, you know, your story there, there's clearly so much that's just awful about that. Um, even when, you know, you're, you're telling your story to Dan, there's not, there's no good news about that. Uh, your story about Dan receiving it's good news. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and I felt and seen and you. heard. Yeah. And, and what? Inviting you. Yes. He invited you. He yeah. asked to hear your story. And maybe we, maybe that's another way. Yeah. Just ask each other. Yeah. But yeah. it's so, I mean, talk about God showing up. I mean, that, the fact that he was not even sitting close to me. Yeah. I just can't get past that. Yeah. There's something about presence, about the hmm. more you tell stories and the more you listen to stories and the more you're able to see people then the more kind of attuned you can be to the people around you. And there's something about paying attention to just being where you are with the people who are around you that allows God to work. And we're so good at numbing ourselves and isolating ourselves that we miss so much of what's going on around us. Hmm. Um, and you know, that's, that is... What a story can find you when you're hiding in a corner, mm, that's when right. you're afraid, and when you're under the bed, when you're whatever it is, um, when when you feel like you're totally alone or you're lost in a crowd, a story can find you. Yeah. Whereas, that's it's just uh, it's just powerful, and I think a recognition of that is really important for all of us. Yeah. Mm. You can be hiding in a dark theater. And be like, oh, I'm the man. Hmm. <laughs> I've got. Yeah. I have to do this now, mm. you know. And uh, and stories can make you do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna ask one more question. Okay. And you've touched on it some. Um, 
tell us a little bit about, and some of it is just a willingness to be vulnerable, a willingness to mm. maybe not put our best foot forward, put put our real foot forward. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about telling our stories when uh, when our stories might be ugly. Mm. How do you tell the ugly part of your story? Is it just you have to be willing to be vulnerable? Or do you need, you know, I mean, most of the time in theater, the story has a structure, right? And it goes, it has a dip, and then it comes, It usually, not always, but usually there's a resolution or a happy ending. Right. Or um, how do we continue to tell our stories when we... I mean, as Christians, we we have a hope for a happy ending all the time. But how do we tell our stories when we're in the pit? Hmm. Well, let me just answer that by mm-hmm. giving an example of um, something that I've been doing in my class for years. And uh, we do I do these things called a worldview monologue. So I select for my students these monologues of characters that are totally different from them, just a smattering of humanity, everything, different cultures, different uh, walks of life, sometimes even different time periods. It's just like, let's get as far away from these Mm -hmm. 18-year-old college students in a private university as Mm -hmm. we can. Mm -hmm. And then they each perform one of these monologues, and the the idea is that they do it as truthfully and as non-judgmentally as they can, just honestly trying to tell this person's story using someone else's words. And they, they always do really good jobs on it. And the, we're talking about short. These are short. And that's another thing. It's amazing what you can tell in 60 mm-hmm, seconds. Sure. So they each do one of these monologues. And then several weeks later, the next assignment is they do something similar. They, they write their own monologue, um, a this is me monologue. And it is- I am from. It, it is, no, it is this is oh. me, where they are saying who they are. They're telling a story. And we may not know the backstory. It's, we've just caught this little sliver of them. Mm-hmm. And so we may, I, we may not even know what they're talking about. But I will tell you that every single year Every single person just pulls something out of mm. some very difficult, sometimes agonizing pl- hurt, a mm-hmm. wound in their life, and they they share that. They give that to the class, and they're it, they are so. I mean, everyone is so respectful mm. and treasury, and it, I mean, I get to witness it every year. This. They just surround each other. And it's like first hearing all these different stories and understanding, wow, there's just so many people out there, so many things going on. And then here's my story. Mm-hmm. And now I'm listening to you who I've sat next to in this desk. And and I'll tell you what, it is, going back to Parker Palmer, it is very yeah. hard to not just want to champion someone that you have heard their mm. story and you know what they are walking through it, you can give them a little more grace mm. and and hopefully that will reflect back on you too mm. we can give ourselves more grace yeah. so mm. i don't know if that answers your story I think that's but, great 
um, uh, that yeah. question. Uh, it is, uh, and that should be a beautiful part of the church, and a lot of times it is, and sometimes it's not. But, but to hold someone's hard story with grace and treasure it. And, and no, you don't have to fix it. And no, yeah, you don't have to fix it. Uh, allows for vulnerability. And vulnerability leads to community. Or to see someone's honest vulnerability as a gift that they're mm-hmm. giving you because they're trusting you a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, you're kind of, they're kind of saying, would you hold my heart for a second mm-hmm. and just not just crush it? <laughs> and the, the only the only real response is just to thank somebody. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested in how you know we've got the podcast. Thanks for being on it. Um, <laughs> but you know that's that's one way. I, I, I'm interested in ways we could increase the likelihood and the safety of people telling, answering that question. Who who are you? And, and there might be some things we could do to help people know how to answer that question. Um, but yeah, I think back to what we were saying earlier, that's, that's a way of hearing the gospel told anew, right? Is, um, well, we won't be able to not hear God in people's stories. I don't know. I think it's really hard in a corporate setting sure. to, to do that and for it to feel to have the kind of spontaneity that a story needs mm-hmm. rather than a feeling of a rehearsed moment there. Uh, and I think the more spontaneous it is, the stronger sometimes that can be. Not always, but sometimes. But I think that's where maybe we encourage people when we hear a story, you know, to could you tell that story? And sometimes people need to have that affirmation Mm. that they could tell that story to someone else. And I think this right here, what you're doing, is a way. Mm -hmm. Because it's a small room, and it's just, right now, sometimes it's only three people, sometimes it's it's four Mm -hmm. people like it is today. But I I think the smaller settings are helpful for people. But then I think a person could feel more comfortable here telling a story that is a story that is something they're going through in that time Mm. but yet they have not gotten through it yet and then and and being okay with people to hear it but they just didn't want to do it in front of everybody yeah yeah i mean that really was the when we in the height of the goals the height of covid Yeah. yeah we were like man no one's hearing the good stories that we're hearing about Highland. We're all just kind of upset about how poorly things are going because <laughs> in the height of COVID, things were a little rough. Remember uh, that John Krasinski show? Yeah, yeah, good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's like he was trying to get, you know, what stories he could find yeah. that could keep people encouraged. Mm-hmm. And what a gift. Yeah. You know, we loved all of those. Yeah. And he was finding those and people were telling him. And I kind of think that's what, maybe could happen is that people begin telling you begin telling others yeah. here you know just saying have you heard this person's story yeah yeah, yeah. well i i can't speak for all theater departments my really only exposure to theater has been through the hester run theater department at acu <laughs> 
But I can tell you, in my time there, I was blown away by how safe of a community it was, hmm. how much you guys treasured people's stories, how uh, people who who might not have felt like they were welcomed in other ACU buildings hmm. felt very welcomed in the ACU theater department. Thank you. And, uh, and it was made a big impact on my life and Christine's life. I know. Um, and you guys continue to make impacts today hmm. and we're grateful for the way you've taught us to tell stories and the way you've taught us to hold stories hmm. and to hear stories. Well, we got to, be on the receiving end of that too because you know to 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 hear all of these stories through the years um it's i mean how rich is that mm. that is a it's a win-win situation mm. yeah donna he was landing the plane i'm sorry okay. no, like, no. Like, no. It's, no it, it brings no, yeah. up a good point that, <laughs> that getting to hear those stories and getting to be a part you mentioned yeah, earlier that you guys are feel like you're particularly tuned vessels yeah. to hearing from God. And that's not a coincidence. That's that's a great point. That is not because of magic. That's because you guys have been hearing and holding and telling stories for years and years and years. And that's a great point. And, uh, and that tunes your heart and we're grateful for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very honored to have been asked. That's a great point. Sorry, I'm just stuck on that. Like, I'm asking the wrong question. Not how do we get people to tell their stories more. It's how do we, how do we train ourselves to, to hear the stories that are all around us, like you guys have done. Yeah, and then now land the plane, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>